Marissa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life. It's time now for A Voice and Beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. This week on A Voice and Beyond, we welcome the two brilliant voice teachers behind the mindfulness of singing, Dr. Denise Bernardini and Tony Crowder. Between them, They have over 50 years of experience teaching private voice lessons at a university level as well as within their own private voice studios. Dr. Denise Bernardini is a sought-after clinician, teacher, presenter at many national and international voice conferences and author. She holds a certification from the American Board of Neurolinguistic Programming and has created her own coaching business, helping all kinds of artists change their mindset, reach their goals, and break through limiting beliefs. Tony Crowder is a voice teacher, clinician, and very talented singer-songwriter who has combined her training and background as a music educator, music therapist, certified yoga voice practitioner, and Yoga Alliance registered yoga teacher to create an active and safe studio for her students. In this week's episode, they come together to talk about the various modalities they have studied, how they have combined and adapted these to create an innovative teaching program for singers, and why they were inspired to write their number one best-selling book on Amazon, The Mindfulness of Singing, Creating a Harmonious Mind, Body and Spirit. Tony and Denise share with us that this book fulfills a dynamic niche in the explosive mindfulness market, and they speak about how a mindfulness practice can be applied in the Teaching Voice Studio. They explain the benefits of this practice for the student and the outstanding results they have achieved using a mindfulness practice with singers. There are many philosophical discussions had in this episode and it is an episode you must be sure to go and listen to with Dr. Denise Bernardini and Tony Crowder. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode.
a voice and beyond. And we have Dr. Denise Bernardini and Tony Crowder here on the show. Together they are the mindfulness of singing. And we've never done this before. Yes, we've had three people on the show before, but not in three different locations. And this is going to be fun. Where are you both? So, Denise, where are you? I'm in Virginia. I'm in the southwest corner of Virginia in the United States. Okay. And what about you, Tony? I'm in Arkansas at the moment. Okay. I've never had anyone on the show from Arkansas. I don't know where that is. (laughs) That's one place I can go. I've never been there and I'm not sure where it is on the map. Well, it's not on the east or the west, kind of the middle down. If you can think of Texas or Oklahoma, kind of around in that area. I have been to Texas, Dallas, Texas, and I've been to New Orleans. Okay. Arkansas is right above and in, in that area. Okay. All right. Well, now I know where Arkansas is. I feel highly educated. <laughs> so welcome to the show, ladies, and I'm going to introduce you both very briefly. There is so much to say about you both, but we're going to reveal a little bit at a time. So we're going to make it like a mystery box here. So, <laughs> thank you for having us, Marissa. We're happy to be here. Yes, we are. Thank you. Such a pleasure. So, Dr. Denise, you are a sought-after clinician, teacher, presenter, and author. You have presented at many national and international voice conferences, so you're kind of like the geek here. <laughs> and Tony Crowder, You are a voice teacher and clinician, and recently you've begun creating and performing original compositions as well as performing some light jazz. So between the pair of you, you have over 50 years of experience teaching private voice lessons at a university level and within your own private voice teachers. So perhaps, Denise, do you want to start off by telling us about your journey and how you've come to be a voice teacher and where you're at right now? Well, currently I'm at a small uh, university in Virginia called Radford University. Before that, I was at a very large institution. Um, I had tenure, and I just really kind of got bored and wanted a new challenge and left there to come here to help them build a a new kind of program. You know, uh, how I came to teaching is kind of an interesting thing. So I'm a preacher's kid and grew up singing gospel music, um, Southern-style church gospel music, and ended up doing some background work in Nashville. And I went on the I auditioned and went on the road and was singing with a gospel pop group. And after about two years, I was just really weary of living in a van and never knowing what city. And it got really tiresome very pretty quickly, two years. And you're, when you're young, you know, it's easier to gig to do that. But it, it kind of took a toll on me. And so I thought that I would try to go back to school, but it was in the middle of the school year and I started substitute teaching. I had some college hours at that point. So it was like, well, you know, I can get some substitute teaching in. And I taught and I happened to teach in a choir class and went, oh, I like this. This is awesome. (laughs) And so I um, decided to go back to school to learn to teach voice and, and choir. 
And of course, that took me down the classical road. And I really hadn't known anything about the classical road up, uh, or, or the classical genre. It was never played in my home. I knew nothing about it. And in the States at that time, you weren't really given choices. You just, this is how we do it. It's classical. It's always classical, but I enjoyed it. And, and I happened to have a really great teacher who was also a pedagogue and turned me on to the science of it. So that's how I got my start. Okay. Let's segue now to Tony. Tell us about you. Well, my story is not quite that exciting, but I started out in music therapy and music education, and then I went back to school and got my master's in vocal performance and in pedagogy, and that's how Denise and I met. I'll steal the thunder of that question you might ask later, but we met in grad school, and um, then from there, I taught and performed, and most of my career has been home studio. I have taught on the college level, but I just never felt called to that. I like doing my own thing, and... uh, so most of my teaching has been in home studio. Mm. Okay, so the two of you together, you're like the dynamic duo. I won't say Batman and Robin because <laughs> I think it's more on an equal level here than Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Denise, you lean more towards science. And, Tony, your in- interest is more in the spirituality. So I'd like you both to elaborate more on that in terms of what you've studied and your own areas of specialization. So maybe this time we'll start with you, Tony. Okay. Well, I would say that's a generalization and that's a pretty good one, but you become like the company you keep. And I'm sure some of my um, woo-woo world has probably, I hope, had a positive influence on Denise, as she would call it. And likewise, that too, because we do share, even though we may lean that way, we share in both. So, but... I've always had an interest in spirituality and self-help books and lean towards. That's what I read. I I don't read novels. I'm just all about that. So I just got back recently from um, a spiritual retreat on super consciousness. In fact, on our book tour, I went to Yogaville. I went to Seven Oaks. I'm always seeking out ways to further expand my understanding of spirituality and express my own uh, divine being. So, yeah. So what, yeah, what have you studied though? Because I I know you have qualifications in a number of things and it's really interesting that you have like formal training in these modalities. Do you want to share what they are? Sure. I'm a certified yoga voice teacher and that's using yoga in the voice studio. I'm also a 200-hour certified yoga teacher and I have taught both yoga voice in the studio and at a yoga studio teaching just plain, uh, not plain, but vinyasa power flow. Uh, and uh, what else? What about the neuro-linguistic programming that you do? That's Denise. Oh, that's Denise. Sorry. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. I'm getting confused here. There's just too many people here. No. <laughs> no. So, Tony, okay. Yep. And Denise. Yeah. Uh, also Tony has spent lots and lots of time in Kriya yoga and chanting and using the voice in a meditative place and state. I'll, I'll speak for her in that, which is also a, a deeply spiritual experience and breath work. We both are big into breath work, which a lot of people would say puts you in a spiritual place and 
opens you up spiritually for sure. I have tra- training in that as well, but I just forget all the things. It's just every day. <laughs> every day is a day to dig deeper. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Denise. Yes. Yeah, no, I was trying to expand on Tony, not me, and and the things that she that she's done uh, outside of just just yoga. Yep, I mean that that shit's hard. So, oh, tell me about it. I don't do yoga. I had a guest the other day, and we were talking about yoga, and I said, literally, I've done it twice, and I found it so hard, and both times I've. I've just sobbed like a baby. I've cried uncontrollably and I've just gone, I'm out of here. I'm not paying someone to make me cry. <laughs> oh, oh, that saddens me. We, we need to talk after this. Oh, I need therapy? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think, yeah, I think we'd both be curious as to what about it made you cry. Okay. Because, but we can talk about that later. Okay. Yeah, so I have, I counted the other day, 50 hours in the mental health realm of towards a master's degree. I'm almost done. Even though I already have a doctor and another master's degree, why not one more? It's really, really pretty ridiculous. But I found myself really curious about how the brain works and neuroscience and why people do the things they do. What creates um, performance anxiety for some who may, for instance, my sister and I have the exact same background. My sister has no performance anxiety whatsoever. That woman can stand up and sing in front of however many people and cool as a you know cucumber. Me, on the other hand, I get really anxious and have some performance anxiety and sweat and all the things. And uh, and I didn't experience that as a as someone in the pop realm and the gospel realm, I, I started experiencing that really in the, in the realm of classical music was where my anxiety popped up for me. And so, I mean, there's pr- lots of reasons yes. why, and that's probably another, process. but anyway, I, you know, began to really wonder why my students had so much anxiety, why we've seen that ramp up so much in our own studios, why we've seen it. I don't know about Australia, but in the States, our youth are very anxiety ridden. Same here, especially especially okay. since COVID. A lot of my students prior to COVID were okay and came back to in-person teaching and they were highly anxious. Right. Some being medicated. Yeah, there were some really sad stories post-COVID after being isolated for so long and then coming back I found a lot of my kids very different. So I thought, yes, we have been impacted here also. Even though we didn't experience the lockdowns, especially here in Queensland, our lives went on pretty normally compared to everywhere else in the world, and we were still impacted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's It's been really quite a interesting event to watch unfold uh, for our youth, for sure. So over COVID, I uh, kind of dabbled in the neuro-linguistic programming. I I read some stuff about it and thought, you know, I think I'll take a class and what am I doing? It's COVID. So I got certified in that and and in hypnotism and kind of went, well, this is pretty, this is pretty darn cool. I must say, which is really, really awesome. So I, I had thought, 
you know, maybe I'd look at speech language pathology. I, I was kind of looking at other ways to branch out. And I teach for the speech language pathology people. I teach anatomy mm-hmm. of the voice mm-hmm. for them for a master's program. I have all, you know, master's students there in that. So I love the voice science stuff. I love, I love, you know, to, to um, analyze a voice, put it into Voce Vista, look at all the uh, science is my thing. I dig it. But uh, long story short. So I thought, you know, I'll just take a, what are you two laughing at me about? No, I'm going, not me. I'm so bad at all the science stuff. And I admit it. If you've heard my podcast before, I go, I don't understand all the acoustics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I get all that. But I, I also am very interested in in this part of the scene because I say this all the time. The mechanism is here. All of our, our mechanisms generally are all basically alike. Here's where the voice lies. Mm. She's pointing to her head. Yeah, for those of you are. Is this, I don't know if this is going to be yeah, video yeah. Or, or. It's going to be video. Okay. But it's, it's in the head. It's in the brain. It's in, it's in that. But also you add to the fact that music is a language of the heart. And if the heart and the head are not in agreement or are not, or there's something going on there, whether it's anxiety, it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean that it can't be addressed. It just means that this is going to be affected. It just is. I don't believe that anyone who sings beautifully, perfectly, cannot have their voice affected if either the head's not right or the heart's not ready. I 100% agree. You're singing my song, girl, uh-huh. uh, because that's that's part of the issue that I have with some of our singing voice community at present is I feel like the singer is starting to become dehumanized, that there is so much emphasis on science that we forget that a spectrogram is not going to show what's going on up here, what's going on here. And with my students, I know as soon as they walk in the door by the way they carry themselves, the way they hold themselves, the sound of their voice, the tone of the voice, the language they're using, I know when there's something up. And I know that before I do any work on the voice, I've got to calm that down, find a way of calming it down. Generally for me, it's I put them on the floor, get them to close their eyes and just go into some deep breath work generally. Yep, absolutely. So I know that it's no point I can do a 1,000 exercises I can pull out all all the tools in my toolbox, but if they're not in that right frame of mind, they're not going to learn anything. Amen. We're, we sing the same song. You're singing our song now. Totally. That is my teaching philosophy. You have to work with the whole person. You can't just work with the larynx. Yes. That's the essence of our, our book as well, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Our book is not a vocal technique book. Yeah, yeah. World doesn't need another book about vocal technique. Yeah. Sorry, but it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when it comes to vocal technique, I think sometimes our singing voice community forgets what does pedagogy actually mean. We call it pedagogy in Australia. We don't call it pedagogy. Sorry. <laughs> it's like we say arytenoids and you guys say arytenoids. Is that right? Yeah. 
No, you guys say arytenoids and we say arytenoids. I'm getting confused now. But, you know, what is pedagogy? What is it? Isn't it the philosophy behind teaching? Have we forgotten that? It's not about technique. It's about how we approach our teaching, the philosophy behind teaching. Yes. Right, 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 right. I, I think I think some people will tell you you have to know some things about technique in order oh. to to have a philosophy of teaching. And I and I ascribe yes. to that. But the science of it is not really pedagogy. That's vocology. That's a different field mm. and a different certification and a in a different degree. And and that's a degree that should be steeped in research and maybe some teaching, but that's highly, that's all about research, really. Mm. So I just want to move on a little bit because, honestly, we could go on about this for hours. <laughs> we clearly have very um, set opinions <laughs> and, and we ascribe to the same song, so we could go on about it. But with the both of you, with your own career paths, was there a time where you felt that you needed more yourselves personally as voice users, where you felt that the training you had was not enough, that there was something missing or there was something that you needed Mm. because perhaps there was something that was a little broken either within the voice or within you that the science or the pedagogy or whatever your training was, wasn't filling that gap? I'll start in first. Mm-hmm. It's been a, a lifelong journey of learning to listen to my own voice. And I grew up in environment, we similar environments for Denise and I, that authoritarian, uh, conservative. And so listening to my own intuition, if I had, I could have taken a few less detours and toxic teachers and negative experiences. But because I saw myself as the lesser person and not an equal, whatever the uh, teacher said was the gospel. So if you're young and you happen to be listening to this, I want to encourage you to listen to your own voice, ironically, since we're talking about the voice, but your own intuition, that spiritual side of you that knows this doesn't seem quite right. Don't keep doing it then. Question it. And I wasn't taught to question. I was taught to respect authority. And so, yes, there were definitely times. And it's only now, the deeper I go into some really deep spiritual practices, that I'm finding just how much we can listen internally and get away from the rules of right, wrong, and explore what's truly inside of us. Yes, and that that's beautiful. And what you're referring to clearly is the master apprentice model that <laughs> that is uh, found in academia, and that a lot of teachers still ascribe to because that's all they know, and there is fear in change in in that, in letting go of that. Sure. So, what about you, Denise? Well, I do think that there's fear in that, and I am in academia, and I can tell you that that model doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I love the pair of you. <laughs> not, o- not only will the students not accept that model, but 
it is damaging and detrimental and it and it is not it is not a paradigm that needs to be lived in and and if you're still teaching and you still love and you're still into that paradigm i would invite you to ask yourself why and if the why is because you feel like you have more control or and more control of that person then you need to seek some therapy <laughs> i mean that makes me think of a toxic moment when a teacher, teacher was doing something really abusive. And I said, why? And I was crying. Why are you doing that? And you know what their response was? Well, that's what my teacher did to me. As if that made it. Not- One of the things I like to say frequently is, how does that feel? What do you think? How do you, what involving them? And that was never said to me what I felt or what I thought or what I needed or what. In fact, that's how I start the lesson. What is your intention today? What would, in fact, sometimes I've done some recently, some one lesson working with seniors and I'll say, if I could wave my magic wand, what could I give you in this one hour? And they know exactly what they want. And sometimes I'm able to wave that magic wand and, and give it to them. But if I didn't ask, how could I satisfy what their needs are? So yes, absolutely. I think that's broken. And I think involving the student is a beautiful thing. And I wish people had done that for me. But I'm okay now. Thank goodness, because we have you here and, and you're now waving the flag. And, and basically, you are advocating for student-centered learning. Yes. Through this work as well. So did there come a point then you started learning these modalities for your own reasons and for your own curiosity And then did you think, oh, I might try this on a student? Is that how you ended up doing this work within your own studios? Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that I I led this year was a a group in performance anxiety. And, you know, we looked at cognitive behavior therapy, you know, And to put that in a nutshell, it's basically dealing with magical or stinking thinking, right? Oh my God, if I don't, if, if I don't, if this lesson doesn't go well, it's the end of my career. My teacher's going to hate me. Or if I, if I don't, if, if I forget a word, everyone is going to remember it for the rest of their lives. No, honey, they're thinking about what they're going to buy at the grocery store. Helping them see that these, you know, inflated thoughts are not helpful, helping them say them. Because in in cognitive behavior therapy, one of the things we know is that if you name it, you can tame it. If you recognize it and it comes to your awareness that you can say, ah, I'm having these thoughts before I, I'm really inflating all the things that could go wrong, could be wrong, you know, and I get caught up in that. My fear is this. Is that likely to happen? No. But I still have this fear. So we, we addressed the cognitive behavior part of that. We, we also did some um, mindfulness, some, some tools. I gave them tools to uh, breath work is one of those things. Um, grounding yourself is one of those things. Doing some visualization and some hypnosis kinds of activities were also part of that uh, group, that study. And then we did some psychotherapy. And I don't know if you know anything about psychotherapy. I'm not certified in that, but I brought in somebody who's certified in it. 
who who can give voice to those voices that live in our we all have voices in our head we are all split personalities i have one voice that i use with my husband when he's annoying me i have one one voice or and one voice i use when i when i love him and i have one voice that i use you know with 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 tony and i have one voice that i have when i'm a teacher and when i'm in a classroom or when i or when i speak to my mother or my we have all of these personality traits we're not one thing but some of those personalities serve us better than others and so having that conversation with the students and, uh, and letting them see how normal it is, normalizing struggles in voice, struggles in performance is super powerful. But when we act like they don't exist or that they exist because there's something wrong with you, you must not be meant to perform. If you are scared of it, what's wrong with you? If we approach it like that, they either leave the business altogether or they they can't function. Mm. They just cannot function. Mm. I'd like to ask you, when you're doing this work, and, and I'm going to ask you the same questions, Tony, in a second. When you do this work, obviously this is, some people may perceive this to be very woo-woo. And for someone, someone who is, you know, has a highly academic career, you know, that is almost at times a contradiction to academia or not. But how do you then introduce this work in a way that the students feel that they are in a safe space and they can feel they can allow themselves to be vulnerable? Because they really have to be able to put themselves out there, otherwise it's not going to work. So how do you create that space for them? Well, I, you know, what we did was we just hung posters everywhere, told people about it, and we, and we gave them something to go and sign up on. And so as those began to roll in, then I met with them one-on-one, and I, and I just said, look, what happens in this room stays in this room. Mm-hmm. We are all bound to that. I made them sign agreements saying that they would not share outside of that room. The first session, I would say they didn't do a lot of talking, uh, a little bit. Second session, they talked a little more. By the third and fourth session, all I did was sit back and go, uh-huh, oh, mm-hmm, because they could not share enough once they once they got started and once they felt like they were in a safe place and knew that their peers would held that space sacred. Wow. And what were some of the results that you found came about after doing this work? Yeah, they they all they all had to fill out a, an, an anonymous survey and all of them said it made a great difference in their performance. And they had had performances throughout this, you know, that it made a great difference in their performances and their love for performing and their their feeling. But one in particular that I'll share with you is uh, a young lady who's very talented can sing any any style any just anything. She can sing classical. She can sing jazz. She can sing pop. She can do it all. And she uh, ha- was voted by the faculty to be in an honors recital kind of experience. And she was very freaked out, really freaked out about it. And so we did. Uh, she came to me and said, "I just I just want you to know that I'm you know I'm using the modalities and things but that you've taught us and it's helping me, but I'm still just really just 
so anxious and do you think you could do the visualization hypnosis thing with me that you did with class the other day or with our session the other day? And I'm like, sure. So I let her down it. She went and did the thing. And when she came back, she said, that's the first time I have ever felt happy after a performance. Oh. She said, I had the very first time I ever walked out of a performance and went, oh my God, I had so much fun. I loved it. And I actually felt like I did well. And she said, it wasn't perfect. But I didn't care that it wasn't perfect. It didn't matter that it wasn't perfect. I was okay with the fact that it wasn't perfect. And she said, for the first time, I'm not crying backstage after a performance. So it was it's it's huge for them to have peers, people that they can share with, talk to, and um really have some therapy over. That's amazing. And Anybody who thinks therapy is woo-woo needs to get some therapy. Because <laughs> it is so far from that. It's not woo-woo. You know, like I'm, we're not, you know, we're not calling on the saints or whatever. I mean, it, it's just, it's a conversation for Pete's Yeah, sake. yeah, yeah. It's not like you guys come together and, and get voodoo dolls and start sticking pins into them or anything. <laughs> But, okay, so, Tony, same questions. How did you introduce this into your studio? And then how do you create a safe space to allow this work to happen? I think what you just said is the key, creating a safe space. I don't have a class or a workshop like Denise has in this, you know, kind of thing that she was talking about. But I think by the way, the very way that you teach when you say, well, that was wrong and you can't do that doesn't open the door for any kind of exploration and a safe space. So, and my personality swings more to being nurturing anyway. And so that's not something I've had to work on. If anything, I have to work on the other side of that, of not being too much of a hand-holder type teacher. So my kids have always felt it's a safe place Mm. just because that's who I am. Yeah, so how do you do the work in terms of yoga voice and using some of your modalities within the voice studio? Is that basically on a per-needs basis with the student? It really kind of depends on whether or not they embrace yoga, and I've found the people who love it, love it, and they want, give me that pose again. Wow, I heard what happened in my voice. I heard what happened in my mind. Just a simple example, maybe someone has a monkey brain and they I can see they just can't get present with me. I'll have them stand in tree pose because when you're in a balancing posture, it's hard to keep the chatter going. You've got to get focused. So that's a real simple, but it's much more involved in that. It's looking at the chakras and looking at, oh, they're not grounded. And so they're, so they're having some rhythm problems. What can we do? And I really haven't had anybody resistant to it because mm. I've seen benefits now if they're if I can see from their physical form that doing too much is not going to be their balance is not good to just stand there then I'm not going to invite them to do something that they're not going to succeed at yes so what I'm hearing here is that based on what their needs are is yoga for singers is like putting them maybe into a particular pose and then having them sing yes yeah. And it's based on releasing whatever it is that they're needing to release. So releasing breath, releasing tension in a particular part of the body. Yes. 
I love that you talked about the chakras because to be honest, like I'm on this big balancing chakras thing at the moment. So every morning I do meditation for my chakras, balancing and tuning my chakras because I feel like I need to become realigned in a, <laughs> and it really helps. And so I'm just as woo-woo and as crazy as you two. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I, I have Tony come over where I teach at least once a year, if not more, if I, if, you know, if it allows. And when she works with my students, you know, they get so much science and stuff for me. But when she works with my students and she has them do a pose, I mean, it, it really, for the most part, they love it. They're like, oh my, oh my gosh. In fact, one girl goes, okay. I don't know what the two of you are up to, but the two of you are like voodoo. Did you just do voodoo on me? You know, and they're like, you two are a couple of witches, you know? <laughs> That's funny. And they 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 love it and they respond really, really well to that. I think this, you know, students that are this generation, they've been exposed to more yoga and more yes. modalities like that. So they're a little more open mm. to that. But um I, you know, back to one thing you said that I, I want to address, and that was, you know, talking about the the student verse, versus um, the master apprentice. Yes. And of course, I grew up in that. And and when I was a young teacher and even into my middle age, I would say that I was that type of teacher. Like that is how I taught. It's all I knew. Right. It's what I knew. That was my own experience. But. Like Tony, I read a lot of self-help books. I've had a lot of therapy myself. And as our students grew in anxiety and I began to see that maybe I needed to change the way that I taught and that I needed to rethink things about my own self and why that is, I changed my mind on that. And I think teachers, you can change your mind. Yeah. You know, we get so caught up. Well, if I change my mind in this, what does that mean that I've been wrong all these years? No, we're evolving. You have to evolve. Yes. We must evolve. You cannot stay. You can, but I would invite you not to stay stuck. Mm. Evolve as a teacher, evolve with our students because they're evolving. This generation, they are say what you want about them, like whatever, but they are more accepting, more open, uh, take everybody, you know, as they are, there's no wrong or right thing. If somebody wants to be transgender or if they want to be, you know, not to open the door of all that, but, but if somebody wants to sleep with boys and girls, what, whatever, they don't care. They are like, it's none of my business. And I just want people to be happy. Like there are such a great group of folks, right? There's such a great group of students and they're better than we are. They're so much better than we are when it comes to like social things. They are accepting all of those things that we've struggled with. Those of us in this generation, we've struggled with, right? We weren't taught to be accepting. And so we are, I learn from them. And I also learned that it's okay to change, to meet the students, to meet them where they are. If you can't do that, God, why are you teaching? Yes. Essentially, it's not about us. It's about exactly. them. And even, you know, like I'll be teaching a student and they'll sing through a song and they look at me 
for approval. And mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I just, and I say, don't ask me what I think. I want to know what you think. Tell me what was the yeah. best thing you just did in that song. Where, what did you think you did really well? And then tell me what mm-hmm. you felt challenged by in that song. Let's start with mm-hmm. what you think. You mm-hmm. know, and I, I went through the greatest transition in my teaching in the last 12 months. I must admit, having this podcast has really opened my mind to the fact that there are many ways to get to the same result. And anyone that yes. says this is how you do it, you shouldn't be teaching. <laughs> well, not only that, but if that's the case, if, you, if you're in a room with a teacher who says, if I can do it, you can do it. It's done like this and only like this. Why don't you sound like mm. run? Exactly, exactly. But the more work I think that we do on ourselves as individuals, the better teachers we become. When we become students of life, we can then become really good teachers. And I last year I lost my mum. It's almost a year. And I went back into teaching pretty much 10 days after she passed away because I had so much time off while she was unwell. So I owed it to my students. They're at a university. They had assessments coming up. So I had to go back to work. And I had to really check in on myself. Every time I stepped into the studio, it was checking on myself mentally, emotionally, and leave all my biases, all my emotions, everything that I was feeling, it had to be left at the door so that I can hold space for them. Yeah. And, you know, there were moments that I was vulnerable and I cried. But you know what? I was never angry I was so open. I had such an open heart for these kids that I learnt the power of checking in and how mm-hmm. we have mm. to look at ourselves first, be kind to mm. ourselves, look look at our own limitations, like where do we, what are our limiting beliefs and how do they come through in our teaching? Because if we have limiting beliefs, then we're going to be putting limitations on our students. And we should never do that. We should, we should allow them to think that there are no limitations on their voices. Let's try it. Let's just give this a go. Let's just explore. Let's just be playful. Let's just see what happens. And who cares if it doesn't work? Right. And who cares if it's not perfect? I don't want to hear a perfect voice, to be honest. Because then it's inauthentic. No, no one's perfect. Right. You know, I love that. I love that um, checking in with yourself and checking in before you step into the studio. And I, I would say that that's a really great practice to even have for students to do as well. Like ask them to check in with themselves before they come to to lesson. And, you know, Imperfect sound, I could care less. Not a classical sound, I could care less. What I do care about is whether or not you honor your talent with spending time practicing, things like that. Like, 
respecting yourself and and respecting your teacher by not coming in totally unprepared. Like that's that's a problem yep. for me. But otherwise, how you get from point A to point B in in your tone or your what we're just gonna try all kinds of things. Like I, there's no one way for any one person. It's everybody is so different. Mm. I can tell really wants to say something so many things i wanted to say um one uh we did a workshop together just recently and we read from our book the singer's prayer and meditation affirmation and then another poem and then asked them which one did which mindset were they in before their lesson and to feel in their body what it would be like if they said this before the lesson or then the negative one, and they got lots of laughter, and they they said vis- viscerally they could feel the examples of the poem and how you put your mind before you walk in that door, and they seemed to really get it, didn't they, Denise? Yeah, and the one poem was like, oh my God, I'm not ready for my, I'm not, or one of the readings was, oh my God, I'm not ready for my lesson. I, I It's going to be terrible. I didn't practice right. I didn't see, and that note that I'm trying to sing, it's terrible. What if I, well, I'm, I know it's going to be awful. It, you know, all of that, all of that we have all felt in a voice lesson. We have all felt that before our own voice lessons um, and dreaded voice lesson or dreaded going to the practice room. Like we've all had that experience. Um, you, you asked, have I ever, have we ever had, you know, places when our voices didn't work or whatever? I've, I've never had that experience, but I have had experience where I have felt like my love for singing was dead. <laughs> yes. And I've said this a lot. If you really want to kill creativity and your love for singing, go get a doctorate in voice. <laughs> Because they will beat it out of you. <laughs> and um, I think it's so true. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and when you, when you get out then you rediscover, you know, your, your love for it. But I, I just was always looking for a teacher to, to validate me. I, I went to different teachers, you know, throughout my career and if this one didn't validate me, and I went to another one to see if they would validate me, and I looked for teachers to, 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 to yes, of course, teach me better things, but I was really looking for validation. And sometimes we just don't validate our students, and that's really all they need. Really, all they want are three things. They want to be seen, heard, and understood. Don't we all, though, in life? Yes, yes, we all do. If we're honest, that's what we all want. Yes. And when we don't see, hear, or understand them, then in, I don't care. I don't care if you are the best technician in the wide, stinking world. A student will not learn from you. They won't they learn won't. from you. They won't. See them, hear them, or understand, try to understand mm. them. So we haven't even started talking about your book. So let's 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 start talking about the book. <laughs> um, so you have written the book Mindfulness of Singing. Congratulations, because I know it's been number one on Amazon for many weeks. What an amazing feat that is! That that's fantastic. So with the book. What inspired you to write the book? And what is this book about? 
I'll, I'll answer that one first. What inspired me was my girlfriend twisted my arm and said, let's write this book. That's what inspired me. <laughs> now, that's, that is true. Now, she wasn't that forceful, and it didn't take much arm twisting, and I'm really glad I did. But it was Denise's brainchild, so I'll let her take it away. Uh, well, yeah. So the thing is, you know, I, uh, Marissa, I think if you are a decent teacher— that you're already doing mindfulness in your studio. You're asking them to check in with their body. You're hopefully you're asking them what their goals are for their lesson. You're asking them, you know, to try not to judge themselves too harshly. And you're asking them not to be distracted. And those are the things that we talk about in the book. We talk about all the ways that, and we call that our seeing method. So we ask them, we ask the reader to set an intention to, um, I always get this one screwed isolate. up. Isolate. Isolate from distractions, to notice their body, and to give up judgment. And we call it the sing method. And, and we're hoping that whether they are, you know, full-time singers, professional singers, old school singers, or maybe somebody who just loves to sing in their community organization or their church organization, or they even just love to sing in the choir or, or, or their, their car or the shower or whatever, and they want a mindfulness practice, something that will help them be more mindful in their life, to notice those thoughts that don't serve you well, to, and we talk about the mind, body, and spirit, so to notice what you eat is eat is your eating serving mm. you as a, as a singer as a person is it, is it food as medicine or not are you hydrated are you all you know those kinds of things and are you are you having a spiritual practice and we're we don't care what it is we're not judging but we are saying that there are ways to have spiritual practices and we talk about meditation mostly as a way to have a spiritual practice that opens you up and opens the heart chakra and helps you have a sense of purpose and a sense of purpose with the voice and how to be mindful using your own voice. Mm. On that note, what does mindfulness mean? Because every like there's different interpretations of mindfulness. What is your interpretation of mindfulness? Well, I was going to see if Tony was going to answer that. Yeah, I wanted to tell a story there. Um, this is not from the book. This is just from an experience I had just last week. I was in a six-day uh, subconscious uh, awareness, spirituality, meditation, all day long. That's all I did. And one of the things that he said, and I really thought it was a great way to explain mindfulness, is that you want to fire your roommate. You both mentioned how we have all these voices that are chattering, but it's just mind talk. But when you can become the witness and just watching and waiting and being the observer, you're never alone because there's two of you and you're getting rid of the one that doesn't serve you and just steer towards the witness. And it's a beautiful, for me, that metaphor and analogy uh, is a good way to describe mindfulness. That checking in that you said, just sitting back as if you were kind of almost outside of your body. I know that sounds a little woo-woo, but that observer, the witness of everything you're doing, your intuition will definitely go up when you're having that kind of practice. Mm. You know, um, and what Tony's talking about, I think, is a pretty advanced form of meditation. It, it is. We're talking hours of things. Yes. And you can't, you know, so for the novices, somebody who would just pick up this book, 
Mindfulness is about being present in this moment. Mindfulness is not thinking about what's going to happen in the future, what might happen in the future, what you're dreading might happen, what you're fearful of, or or being inundated with, oh my God, if only I had, why didn't I, why shouldn't I have, why, why did this happen to me? What, you know, taking yourself out of the past, the past is gone, you can never do anything about it. The future is not here. There's so many different things that could or could not happen. There's no, if you can't control it, why worry about it? Be present in this moment. And we are not present. You know why we're not present in part? Because we're here. Oh, 100%. The rectangle on the phone. R-E-C-K. You get it? Rectangle. It rectangle. Very clever. Mm. A rectangle with the word rec. W-R-E-C-K. Rectangle. It is wrecking lives. It's wrecking people. It's wrecking social interactions, connection. But you're also talking about, you know, what about people who are, you know, our students, at least where I teach, I teach in a fairly low socioeconomic area. Students who have food insecurity, students who are working three jobs, trying to go to school, parents don't help or support them. I, I've had you know, conversation with students recently that their their stories, their home stories would absolutely curl your hair. You would weep for these kids, what they go through at home. So my point is this, how do you talk about mindfulness with a kid that's in that state that is struggling to just get through the stinking day, right? No support at home, no monetary support, really. They're on their own. They're 18 they don't know life. And then and then you're supposed to say to them, oh, just be mindful. I don't think so. I don't think so. But introducing them to the concept of be present, put both feet on the floor, find five things in the room that you can count out when you feel anxious, do some breath, breathe. Don't worry about what you can't control. Think about what you're grateful for. Those are all mindfulness practices. And it's really hard to be, and Tony says this all the time, people react to two things, love or fear. And it's really hard to be in fear if you're thinking about all of the gratitude that you have, if you're grateful for all. And I'm I'm preaching to me because just yesterday I was my bitching and moaning about something and Don goes, well, you don't sound grateful. Don's my husband. You don't sound grateful. And I'm like, first of all, I'm like, shut up. And then secondly, I'm like, you're right. I'm not being grateful. So it's ongoing. You you never get perfect at mindfulness. You never get perfect at those kinds of things. But with more and more practice, you can get where Tony has has gone. And that is seeing the witness, Mm -hmm. noticing the witness, noticing who is watching right now. Because if, Marissa, if there is no spirituality, we are nothing but a bunch of meat robots. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And neither do you. No, no, of course I don't believe that. Because if you remember but way back when Sundberg and some other folks, I can't maybe it was Bernard. And I'm talking now the 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 vocal pedagogy and vocology geeks will know what I'm talking about. They took an larynx and they hooked it up to a 
vacuum cleaner. Have you seen these videos? No, I've heard about it from you. They, they, I've seen them. So they they take the larynx and they hook it up to a vacuum cleaner and they try to reenact pitch and vocalizations, phonation from this larynx. And all the larynx does is yeah. buzzing. Yeah. Okay. So if if that's the case, then yes, you can make a case for the fact that the that the that the vocal tract influences it and it does. But if you take the spirit out of singing, thanks anyway, you can have it. Mm. You can you can have it. I, I'm not interested in watching a bunch of meat robots yeah. <laughs> sing perfect things or having AI sing for us, which mm. I mean let's that yeah. could come, right? Without spirit, we would not say about a singer, they've got something special. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something special about that. Something special about that experience I just had musically. If we were just a bunch of ro- meat robots, we would never, ever, ever have that sensation or have that feeling or that thought. I love that. And that just made me think of something that I do within my studio with my students, you know, talking about the spirit and the thought and, and the process for the singer. I will quite often ask a student, because I look at a student's eyes when they're singing, and I will ask them at the end of a song too, you know, once we go through the, you know, challenges, blah, 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 what were you thinking about when you were singing? Where was your head at? And the number of students that say I was listening to, to hear if I was singing any wrong notes or I was thinking that didn't sound very good. And then so I say, so not at any point did you ever think about what you were singing about. Have you ever stopped to think about the lyrics? And have you ever thought maybe, you know, who am I singing this song to? What is the intention behind? What is my story when I sing this song? And I think part of that moment when you hear a performance that is you just go, wow. I think it's because we get to see the honesty in performance. We, we see the heart and the soul and what you're calling the spirit in the singer. And that's what I believe it is. Tony, you you were wanting to say something. I could see you. You said something reminded me. Recently I had a performance and I sang a lot of my music and someone said to me that someone that I really respect who's very deep spiritual, she said, I loved it because we didn't hear your voice. We saw your soul. (laughs) Yes, yes. And isn't that what we want to see in performance? And, I mean, I know that we have to work on technique and we have to make the voice healthy and sustainable and all that and, and, and have the singer do the best they can vocally. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the heart and the soul in the singing where they're sharing a part of them, you know, part that they feel safe enough to share, and they feel good about sharing it, then no one's going to want to really listen to that. But 
Anyway, we, we're going on so many tangents here. So <laughs> I want to know, we're going back to the book because we're here for the book. People, you all have to go and buy the book. <laughs> I know we're talking about lots of other stuff, a lot of philosophical stuff, but the book is a philosophical book, I feel. Who did you write the book for? Was it for voice teachers? Was it for singers? Was it for all of the above? Yes, yes, yes. Like I said, we just, you know, I told her, I said, I'm not interested in writing. We could both write up. I could write a book on vocal technique tomorrow. I don't, well, I didn't want to do that. I've, it's already been done and it's been done quite well by other people. We don't need another book on vocal technique. But I just feel like the the whole singer is just really not addressed very often and um and that we you you have to you have to talk about the whole person you just do you just do your body is your instrument you cannot treat it as if it exists here here and no other place and I'm holding for those of you who are listening I'm holding my finger right below my my trachea and right under my nose this is not where the voice exists. This is where phonation exists. The voice is something different. And we we wanted to talk about that in the book. We wanted to talk about how you balance mind, body, spirit, and trauma. We address trauma, trauma with a little T, trauma with a big T, how you address that and how that can really affect the voice and ways, hopefully, that you can practice some mindfulness to help your help deal with that. It it gives me great joy when people say, "I'm inspired. I want to explore yoga. Who do you recommend?" Or I'm trying out this breath work. Or I've read the book, and I think everybody should read this, whether they're a singer or not, because there's so much self help that you can apply to your soul. And so, my prayer, I'm seeing it come to fruition, is that people are finding joy and wonder in exploring their own voice and taking all the headiness out of it. There's nothing in that book Tony and I have not done ourselves. And they're still still doing, and true confession, I'll just put it out on the table because that's the kind of person I am. I'm still reading, I'm still reading the book. I still think there's so much in it. I tried, we, we practice what we preach and I'm still a work in progress. In fact, today I ordered the journal for our book so I can make sure that I'm doing everything that I have mentioned or we have mentioned in the book. And I, I really believe that it's not that we're so great and wonderful, but the principles that we present are timeless. Mm. They are truths that it uh, didn't matter if Tony and Denise said them, they, they are real. We just put them together in a different package that people tell us is very readable, that it's it's like sitting down and talking to us. And we we had some discussion about that along the way, some critique of taking some of our personality out, but we, Denise especially, held her guns and uh, we like it that people say it's readable and hopefully they'll be inspired and we would love for you to read it and share your story. Yes, of course. Of course. I, I, I think it's brilliant and I think it's time that we, you know, every other industry, whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you're an Olympic athlete, you're, you are a high-profile celebrity Everyone is doing self-help work. And singers, 
who are there putting themselves and sharing themselves in a way that's highly vulnerable. Teachers who are mm-hmm. working with these beings, why are we not? We need more of this. We need more of this in our industry. If a Fortune 500 CEO can do this work, a singing teacher can. Right. I think we need to balance out the science with the, we still need that human element of the voice to be addressed also. It can't be all one way. I think there needs to be a balance here in the way that we approach our, our pedagogy. I, I was just going to say, I do think the pendulum is swinging back to m- more of the mind, body, spirit, a holistic approach in the, in the voice studio. And I was just going to say that I think that that balance comes from a lifestyle. I mentioned that but I had been on this week-long spiritual retreat with some amazing people from around the globe. And I was at a mealtime, and they knew about the book because it was kind of providential that I got there because of the book tour. But anyway, someone said to me, or several questions that came out, so if you're getting ready to have a performance, how many days before do you cut back on milk? And how do you, you know, how many days before? You, and I, th- I said, no, it's a lifestyle. It's not like that. I don't, because I'm very caffeine sensitive and it dries me out, I choose not to have caffeine all the time because I'm a singer. It's a lifestyle. And that's why when Denise said, let's write a book on the mindfulness of singing, I went, you know, she's right. It is. It, it has impacted my whole life because you yes. can't be vulnerable and get out there and sing and perform if you don't address the stuff you need to work on inside. So it's a lifestyle and that balance is a lifestyle too. Or, oh, I'm going to work out this week, but for the next six months, it doesn't really matter. No, it matters every day because this instrument is needs to be taken care of. So mm-hmm. I'll stop preaching and uh, thank you for letting us share. Oh, no, (laughs) I think we're all sharing. I think the three of us are actually all sharing. And as I said earlier, we're all singing the same song and I love it. I love being in a room with like-minded people. Do you believe that the voice is healing, that it, the voice itself has healing qualities? Yes, I think we're taught, especially in the classical world, that you can't be sad, depressed, moody, whatever. Yet you have to be, you have to be this to sing. Like you, you, you singing. You need to be happy. You need to present happy. How many times have you heard "Smile when you sing"? Smile. Why aren't you smiling? You're performing. Do this. And who wants to do that if they're depressed or they've just lost mm. a loved one or they've lost, they've lost someone? Tony and I both have lost people. And when I lost my sister. I quit singing for two years. It was hard. Mm. In hindsight, I should not have done it. I should have pushed myself to sing despite my sadness because we know so much about neuroscience. We know what singing does. We know what it does to the brain. We know all the good chemicals that it releases. 100%. And we also know that singing in community, that community singing is huge for uh, depression, feeling connected, that we connect with people that we sing with. So those things are are hugely healing. And Tony and I have both experienced great loss, great tragedy in our lives. 
and some trauma with a capital T and singing, I would say, has been a savior in many ways for us both. And I would add to that, too, if there's anybody that's listening right now, uh, our heart goes out to you if you're experiencing deep grief or trauma that has held you back from singing. Here's a baby step that might just get you on the path to singing again. Try just humming and not as not about a performance. It's not for anybody, but for your own soul, the vibration in your own body. And if you want to take it up a notch, and I'm not doing this just as a book plug, but there is detailed information about this in the book, but a sensory deprivation where it's a, a, a mudra where you cover your, your ears and your eyes and just go inside yourself. Give yourself a big sonic love hug with your own vibrations. And that might get you on the path to actually vocalizing and singing again. And sometimes we just need a baby step, but it's a beautiful, beautiful thing for your soul. I love that. I love that. We're going to start wrapping this up because otherwise I think we're going to end up talking for the next six months. (laughs) So I would like to know, okay, where can people find the book? Where can they purchase the book from? We are going to share links in the show notes, but if you want to tell us where they can go and buy the book. Yeah, you can you can find it on Amazon or really you can order it through any place. Like you can order it through Barnes and Noble. You can order it anywhere that books are sold. Um, it may take some time for you to get it, but you can get it pretty quickly through Amazon. That is a beautiful looking cover too. Love it. Thank you. So pretty. Isn't that pretty? That is so pretty. And it's, you feel like you want to go buy it. It's warm and inviting, gives you that fuzzy feeling already. Yeah. And it's the throat chakra color. Yes, yes. People say that, that that feels good. And and we're happy with that. Um, If you don't mind, I would love to um, close with a point from the book. Uh, 100%. I was going to ask you if there was something else you wanted to share about the book before we wrap it up. So, so Denise, what, which should we go with? Sing anyway, or um, the meditation affirmation? Because we talked about that. Which would you feel? I think you should give them the meditation and affirmation. Okay. I, I was kind of a, sometimes I've done sing anyway, but this time I was feeling. And you know what? I'm not going to do it in Italian. I'm going to do it in English. I can do it in Italian. <laughs> of course you can. Um, I actually wrote it, wrote it in both languages because Italian is the language that speaks to my soul. But here we go. And you know what the truth is? I really don't have to use the book, but it uh, does draw it home that it's available in the book. <clears throat> so here it is. And I hope that you will use this the next time you have to practice or paint or fly fish or anything that you want to focus on. This can be applied across the board, but it's called the Singer's Meditation Affirmation. Thank you for this moment. I set my intention to be completely present right here now. I am incredibly grateful for this moment to rest in the presence and play in the sound of my unique voice. I seek only to express myself in the most authentic way. Staying centered, awake, alert, and attentive, I listen to my spirit and my own inner wisdom. I choose only to express myself through love, care, and compassion. 
I release all judgment of myself and those who seek to guide me. And I let go of perfection to embrace this sacred practice of being fully present with my voice. Whoa. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, I have to go. <laughs> That was beautiful. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank wow. you. Wow. That's Tony's poetry. You can see why she's a good songwriter. Oh, thank you. Love that. That it that really struck a chord with me. Oh. And I hope it did with other people. That was just stunning. And I think we all need to, as voice users especially, because we can be so in our heads about our voices, we spend more time in our heads than in our hearts, and I think that is a wonderful way to approach singing. Mm -hmm. And I have also found that as people start to use their voice more and more and free their voices up in the singing studio, the more they start to speak up in life. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I'll just put one more plug in that on our YouTube channel there is Tony playing music she wrote music to that and she is playing it and singing it there's one in italian there's one in english and she's playing and singing it, and it has a beautiful meditative uh video music video with it so if you want to hear that again and you want to see it in action and experience that in a meditative sort of setting you can find it on youtube well we'll be sure then to add that to the links So please remember to send that to me. So we have that in the links also. Now, Tony, I know you're moving to Italy. And no, she. Oh, you're not. What? I'm I'm going, not moving. This first trip is just to go. I don't know what, I don't know. Spirit hasn't told me yet what my next path is. So I'm just going. The Spirit has told me and she's going to come back. And she's going to get busy. Uh, uh, uh. The spirit is saying that we need we ne- need another, like a, a sequel to your book. That's what my go. spirit's telling me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a voice going, these girls need to write another book. <laughs> anyway. You need people to buy this. <laughs> so thank you both so much. It has been an absolute joy. Honestly, I've just loved spending time with you. It didn't feel like an interview. It felt like the three of us, good old mates, hanging out, having a good chat and really getting into the meat of stuff, which is awesome. I wish you all the very best with everything that you do in the future. And I look forward to catching up with you again because I feel that we will. My spirit's telling me that. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Voice and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life. If you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode, please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them. Or share it on social media and use the hashtag 
a voice and beyond. I promise you, I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcast right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.